You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have five rounds of questions about us. Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist and they'll hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the five questions, there'll be a black bonus round at the end just for fun. Our guest for this episode is sports journalist and TV personality, Stephen A. Smith who has spent decades in the sports world making friends and some enemies with his strong opinions and no-holds-barred approach. He's a fan favorite, especially a favorite of mine, on ESPN, and earlier this year released his memoir, Straight Shooter, that's now a New York Times bestseller. He's also a podcast host, podcast No Mercy, and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Stephen A. Thank you so much for joining us on The Blackest Questions. Dr. Greer, honored to be with you. How you doing? I'm great. I've been a fan for a very long time. You know, I'm in Brooklyn. So, you know, I I have lots of uh, sports, (laughs) sports loves and hates (laughs) that we'll get into over the next course of the next few minutes. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's jump right in. You ready for question number one? Whatever you got for me. What's up? Okay. All right. This basketball player holds the NBA record for most points scored in a single game. He scored 100 points, helping the Philadelphia Warriors beat the New York Knicks. Wilt Chamberlain. There we go. Wilt was born in Philly in 1936 and died in Los Angeles in 1999. He was seven foot one and played in the NBA for 14 seasons. He holds more than 70 NBA records, including the only player to average 50 points in a season. So we know that you are a basketball export, expert extraordinaire. Who is your favorite basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. Really? Um, yeah, no, without like question. just that was that was quick. <sighs> <laughs> Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, um, he was phenomenal. He was sensational in so many ways. Um, of course, I have adulation for the great Larry Bird and Magic, Irvin Magic Johnson because they revolutionized the game. They made it what it is. They, they, nobody's more responsible for making the game what it is today than them. Michael Jordan ultimately took it to the next level and really, really cemented that reality. Mm-hmm. But it started with them. When they came into the league, the league was on tape delay. It was drug infested. It wasn't embraced by advertisers and sponsors. Um, It was considered a quote unquote black product that wasn't meant for mainstream, let alone to go global. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson changed all of that. And so because of that and the marketing machine behind them uh, that, you know, basically put the NBA in the mind's eye, that's how the NBA ultimately got to a point where it could be what it is today. But Michael Jordan was just electrifying. He was a guy that, I mean, again, he was Air Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. He was, you know, depth-defying moves, uh, a level of competitive fervor that was unmatched, uh, was so competitive and so great that you literally saw opponents petrified to go up against him. It was as if 
they were stepping in an octagon or a squared circle to box for crying out loud and they were scared to get knocked out. You would think they wouldn't have that level of fear because all we're talking about is basketball. But that's the level of fear he instilled in many, many, many opponents throughout the years because he was simply that sensational. And then to back it up by winning two, six NBA championships, being the NBA Finals MVP in all six championship rounds, to never allowing a game, a series to reach seven games in the championship round. Then to be a 10-time scoring champion, a nine-time all-defensive player, uh, or first-team all-NBA defensive player. The list goes on and on in terms of the superlatives that you could throw out about him. There is no question in my mind to me that he is the greatest basketball player that ever lived. That's how I feel about him. Okay, well, you know, I was going to say Dominic Wilkins was my favorite, but I guess not I'm even. Not, I, I love, <laughs> I, Do, I love, I love Dom. I love Me Dom. Too. No Dominique Wilkins. Uh, you know, with the no human LeBron. highlight reel. Uh, not even, not even close with Dominique and LeBron. LeBron is phenomenal. Went to ten NBA Finals. I've got him number two all time behind Jordan, okay. but okay. he's lost six NBA Finals. He has two less MVPs. Um, two, uh, one less league MVP, two less finals MVPs. When you look at the greatness that LeBron James has put on display, as phenomenal as it has been, statistically, watching the games and seeing the competition go up against them, understanding what it all entailed, I don't think there's any question that when you look at LeBron James, he was a lot of things. He was not Michael Jordan. Okay. Now, you played college basketball at Winston-Salem State University. I tried to play. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to play. I tried to play, yes. Did you ever have dreams of being in the NBA? Yes, but they were were shooting guard, but they were foolhardy dreams. Um, I was uh, coming out of high school. I was 130 pounds soaking wet. Um, My first year in college at Winston-Salem State, I cracked my kneecap in half. And even if I was 100% healthy on my best game, I was never good enough to go pro. Could I ball? Yes. Could I ball in the streets and go neighborhood to neighborhood? And you looked at me and said he could really ball? Sure. But I wasn't on the level of these guys, and I knew better than that. All right. Listen, I'm here with Stephen A. Smith. You're listening to The Blackest Questions. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back. We're playing the Blackest Questions with one of my favorite journalists, Stephen A. Smith. Are you ready for question number two? Let's do it. Okay. This daytime soap opera was the first to feature a predominantly black cast. It premiered in 1989 and ran for only two seasons, but included familiar faces like Vivica A. Fox, Debbie Morgan, and Christoph St. John. What was the name of this soap opera? I need multiple choice because I remember the soap opera. I just don't remember the name until I hear it. I need a multiple choice. Can I get a multiple choice? No multiple choices. Let's go. Oh my Lord. Oh my goodness. And I like, listen, I'm on general hospital. I have a recurring role. I'm friends with the stars, Sonny Corinthos, and I'm friends with Victor Newman, who's Eric Braden in real life for young and the wrestlers. These are my buddies. I, I, I know my soaps that presently I used to watch all my children in one life to live. I'm, yes. I can't remember the name. Of the soap opera. I it can't remember the name. You ready? Go ahead. It's called Generations. Damn Generations it. was centered Damn around it. two Chicago families, one black, the other white. Oh, I and know. Many of the conflicts I didn't remember the name. stemmed from race and old versus new money. The show was watched by about two million households per day, which for soap operas is considered low ratings. The show was canceled after executives realized more black viewers were watching The Young and the Restless and Days of Our Lives. Now, I was a Young and the Restless fan. 
Um, yes. And initially days of our lives, but whenever we switch babysitters, we would switch soap opera. I just think it's unfair. The question, you can't give me a soap opera question that was around for two years. I mean, when you got General Hospital and Young and the Rest has been around for 50. I, I mean, know, my God. We know that you oh. are a huge fan of General Hospital. Oh, you, as my you goodness. Said, you've been on several episodes playing the character Brick. Yeah, I trust you with my life. Trust goes both ways. You know that. But we know that uh, people don't watch soaps the way they used to. But I will say, Stephen A., I've them. got some friends who still DVR Young and the Restless every day. Let me tell you something. still watch soaps. Well, first of all, you're looking at one of them. Okay? Now, if Young and the Restless, that's because my buddy, Eric Braden. But I TiVo General Hospital. I TiVo General Hospital, DVR General Hospital, because I have a recurring role on a soap opera. I'm a part of it, and I've been watching the soap for over 40 years. Um, listen, I will tell you this. If people are not watching, couldn't fool, could have fooled me. I literally am obviously synonymous with the world of sports. There isn't a city that I go to where I don't get stopped as brick. As brick. You know, as bricks, the surveillance expert for the mob. I've had old white men come up to me and say to me, I don't mean to bother you, but my wife is scared to come over. She's a huge fan and she loves brick. I don't know what the hell that is, but she does and she loves brick. Who's brick? And I was like, of course. You walk know, no through, problem. Yeah. Walk me through how you, Stephen A., who we can talk about the Knicks, we can talk about the Cowboys, we can talk about every single aspect of sports. How does one stumble into a reoccurring character on General Hospital? I made a, 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 a cameo appearance in 2007 okay. uh, because they heard that I was a fan. I didn't like that because I was only on for 10 seconds and I never got to meet Maurice Bernard, who plays Sonny Corinthos. Fast forward to the year 2016. And they asked me back on because somebody's watching this new executive producer, Frank Valentini, uh, asked me to come on, make a make an appearance. I did a scene with Maurice Bernard. Maurice Bernard is sitting there with his eyes just like bug eyed looking at me. And he was like, that was sensational. And I'm not thinking anything of it. And the next thing I know, the executive producer, Frank, ends up coming downstairs and he says, oh, my God, that was phenomenal. You did great. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, do you have time to do this? I said, what do you mean do I have time? He says, I, I want to know if, 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 if I put some more lines in there, could you come back and do some? I said, I got to check my schedule. But I said, it shouldn't be a conflict for me to get to L.A. to do some scenes for you. He said, no, we want to make this a permanent recurring role for you. Whenever you could come out here, we want you to be Brick, Sonny's right-hand dude. And I was like, done. No problem. You know, and and it was really, really that simple. Now, Sonny, uh, you know, Maurice Bernard and them, they tell me I can act and stuff like that. I don't want to give myself that much credit because I have such profound respect for actors and actresses mm -hmm. and for the art because to experience it, to know that you can't mess up lines, that you hold up an entire crew when you don't get your lines right and stuff like that. There's just so much profound respect that I have for them. I would never call myself an actor, at least not yet. But I know that I know the role because I know the soap because I watch it all the time. And so as a result of that, I like, I know what this role is supposed to be working for Sonny Corinthos. And I just make sure that I adopt that. And then I just can't give enough 
Laura Wright, who plays Carly, and Sonny Corinthos, played by Maurice Bernard, and Steve Burton, who left General Hospital to go on Young and the Restless before he came back to General Hospital. I give out those three names more than anything. Okay. Because they literally, at one time or another, have coached me through scenes. And they don't have to do that. But they couldn't be more kind more generous with their time. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a real family in that regard. And I I just can't say enough about how grateful I am that they've exhibited and displayed the level of kindness and sincerity that they've given me throughout the years and helping me grow in the role. I love them all. I listen, I know that so many sports fans who are listening to the blackest questions know you from ESPN, but I don't know if they haven't picked up your, your new memoir just yet. I don't know if they know that (laughs) you are such a soap opera fan. And I love this new piece of trivia. Um, Do you have any sights on any other acting you want to kind of do? You know what I've decided? I've decided to take it a little bit more seriously. I'm literally just, I've got a lot to do right now, but probably sometime this summer, I'm going to, I'm going to start taking acting lessons. Because what I find fascinating about it is that you can be anything the role says you are. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to know it because that's acting. It's another thing to experience it. It's another thing to go out there and try to fulfill one's depiction of what a role should be. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about some of my all-time favorite movies, when I think about Gladiator, when I think about Glory with Denzel or or Crimson Tide with Denzel because he's my all-time favorite, when I think about various movies with with, with Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption, for example, when I think about a Tom Hanks with Forrest Gump, uh, you know, Gene Hackman, who was an all-time favorite of mine as well, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in Heat, the list goes on and on. You know, what I marvel at and what I, Denzel, of course, and Malcolm X, which mm-hmm. had to be a dream come true, the, the, despite the pressure that obviously came along with it, because you had to do that right. Right. Just just to to fantasize about being able to marry and engulf yourself and ingratiate yourself with a role. And you don't have to apologize for it because that's the role. You know, I, I think that there's a level of freedom that comes with it if it's a role you want to play. If it's something you want to do, you can do it. And it's like you don't have to apologize to anybody because you're acting. And so for me, to I, I, over the last few years, strictly from doing General Hospital, I, and, and of course I'm going to be in Creed as well and stuff like Creed 3 and stuff like that, I have fantasized about doing more acting. And so I love Jamie Foxx and Law Abiding Citizen oh, yeah. with Gerard Butler. Stuff like that. It's like you see this stuff and you're like, yeah. Or Wesley Snipes in New Jack City. You know, you look at this kind All of stuff. It's classic. like, yeah. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I could see myself doing something like that if I'm worthy. And I don't think I'm worthy yet. So I'm going to go take some acting classes and see what I can pull off. Listen, we're all about manifesting here on The Blackest Questions. You know, I was a thespian for a short minute in college before I switched over to political science and classics. But there is something about embodying a role. But I think there is also something that's different about 
screen acting versus theater acting? Would you ever want right. to go on stage? Or no. Or are you going to stick with television no, movies no, for, for the now? No, television and film, that's it for me. I don't have any desire to be on Broadway in the theater and stuff like that. Those are art. I, those are artists extraordinaire. And obviously some of the great, great actors of our time we see can do both. And mm-hmm. so I applaud them. I revere them. Profound respect to them. And all I do is look at them and marvel at their greatness and applaud it. For me personally, with film and television, I think I can do that. My issue is, is anything that I choose to do, I aspire to do on an elite level mm-hmm. to make sure that I respect the industry. When I think about what I do in the world of sports television, everybody says I'm the guy. Well, guess what? Howard Cosell came before me. Bryant Gumble came before me. Bob Costas came before me. Greg Gumble, you know, and various others throughout history. I, you know, people at ESPN that I work with, the Chris Bermans, the Stuart Scotts, God rest his soul, John Saunders, God rest his soul, Dick Vitale and others, they paved the way for somebody like me. And so for me, one of the greatest compliments, Dr. Gray, I've ever received in my career was when ESPN let me go in 2009 over a contract dispute. And I came back to ESPN. They brought me back in 2011. And everybody was sitting there and shaking my hand. Good to see you, blah, blah, blah. And then I walked up to Chris Berman, Boomer. uh, That's obviously an iconic figure for ESPN for many, many, many years. And he extended his hand and he shook my hand. And I shook his hand and he held me tight and he said, welcome home. Mm. You never should have left. And I'm not an emotional guy, but I, I actually teared up. I didn't cry, but I actually teared up. It meant so much to me to hear him say that because he was a guy that helped start ESPN. You know, going to games, bringing tapes back to put in and, you know, old school stuff that we could never imagine today. He helped build the network, you know, and I know what he meant when he said that to me. He looked at me as somebody regardless of my bombacity and my demonstrative tendencies and all of this stuff, he viewed me as somebody that upheld the standard. When I look at somebody like Brian Gumble texting me and stuff like that, it says to me when they embrace me that I've upheld the standard they created. I didn't veer away from it. I didn't run away. I might try to take it to another level, but it's building off of what they built and acknowledging that I stand on their shoulders. And that's why I'm able to elevate. And it's very, very important to me that I'm that way in anything that I choose to do. So whether it's sports, whether it's acting down the line or whatever, the people that have done it and have done it right. I want to at the very least be gifted enough and respectful enough of the industry. So they'll know our, I understand what shoulders I stand on. I thank you for it. And I hope that I don't disappoint you while I try to do what I try to do. I love it. I'm so excited to see what you do next. We're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm here with Brick, a.k.a. Stephen A. Smith. You're listening to The Blackest Questions, and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back. I'm with Stephen A. Smith. 
podcaster, memoirist, and you know him from ESPN. Are you ready for question number three? I don't know after that second question, Dr. Greer. I mean, I, I mean, that was a hard one right there. Listen. But I, I, let, 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 let's go for it. I, I probably don't get the next ones wrong, but let's try. Let's try. Okay. Let's see how question number three goes. This black fashion designer is known oh, Lord. as the king of knockoffs. And while sometimes controversial, he's credited with introducing high fashion to the world of hip hop. Who is he? Oh. I've got his new sweatshirt. I should have worn it today. I'm thinking names like Dame Dash Timberland. Oh. Older than that. Oh. Mm. No. I don't know. I don't know. Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan Dan is a self-taught tailor from Harlem, New York, who has dressed everyone from LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper to Floyd Mayweather. Well, he ain't never dressed me. Well, See, I don't know that stuff, Doctor Gray. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Dapper Dan ain't never offered me no anything to wear. I don't know Dapper Dan like that. Well, you know, I don't know. So you can get that new sweatshirt from the Gap because oh. I've got my new Dap sweatshirt. He dropped out of high school, but later enrolled in an educational program sponsored by Columbia University that sent him to the continent of Africa. He returned with a sparked interest in fashion. And in the early 1980s, he had a store that was open 24 hours a day that created custom clothing. So I've been told that you were enrolled in the Fashion Institute of Technology, better known as FIT, before you got the basketball scholarship and you left to pursue that. So what were your fashion goals back in the day? There were none. I went there for advertising and communications with the sole express goal of ultimately transferring from that junior college to a four-year institution where I would major in communications. I paid no attention to the fashion element of it at all. You know, even while I was at Fashion Institute of Technology, that wasn't something that I had to do. I took psychology and sociology classes, of course, my English writing and persuasive writing classes and stuff like that. Um, PR classes for the purposes of, you know, um, of, of communications. Uh, but that was it. I was never, ever associated or affiliated in any way with fashion. Even though I was at Fashion Institute of Technology, I went there on a partial basketball scholarship. We were a junior college team. We finished 35 and 4 and ranked 15th in the nation. Um, I went there for that and to accumulate enough credit credits in the field of communications that will enable me to transfer to any four-year institution where I would be able to finish in three years as opposed to going to school for additional four years. So you weren't interested in fashion, but you are known uh, as, you know, sort of a debonair person. Do you follow anyone in the fashion Industry? No, not at all. Not at all. I buy, you know, occasionally my Tom Ford suits, my Brioni suits. And other than that, um, I have a, a tailor that makes some blazers for me and slacks. And I might rock that from time to time because everything doesn't need to be Tom Ford or Brioni. Uh, but what happened was, is that I used to wear these real baggy outfits, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we remember. Because <laughs> it was it was very, very comfortable for me. And so what happened is, is that this was the change in my life. First, it was a couple of changes. Number one. Billy King, the former president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers, was a VP at the time, where Larry Brown was the head coach and Pat Croce was a minority owner. And they were very, very sharp dressers. Um, Pat Croce was particular about his shoes. Larry Brown 
taught me how to rock suede shoes with a suit from time to time. And his suits were very, very dapper. And, of course, Billy King prided himself. And then the guy named Aaron McKee, who's now the head coach at Temple University, head basketball coach at Temple University, his, his nickname is Blue. Everybody called him Blue, but he was a really, really sharp dresser. Could really dress his tail off and always rock the blue suits, right? And so the combination of all of them used to tease me about my outfits because, you know, they knew I tried to dress. I would wear these baggy suits, but I'd have a shirt and tie on and all of this other stuff, and they would tease me. And so I had to, like, get in kind of, you know, slim it up a little bit, but not mm-hmm. too much because I didn't like the straight leg because I just thought that that was just, it was just, it was just uncomfortable for me. So then a couple, a few years later, Dwayne Wade is now a star mm-hmm. with the Miami Heat. And he's very, very, very big in the fashion. And so he had, he was doing business and had connected with these fashion designers from Europe. And he held an event in Miami. Oh, I'm sorry, in New York. So the event was in New York. They made me promise to show up and that's my guy. So I was going to show up for him. So I show up there in one of my baggy suits and he's on stage with everybody. And I got there just a couple of minutes late because I had to work. Dwayne Wade stops the event and says to everybody, you see why certain people need help. They need all the help they could get and pointed out my baggy outfits, you know, basically highlight. Now you could fit three legs into that one pants leg. He got me really, really good because I used to get on him about his outfits all the time. We wearing pink and some of these other bizarre colors and stuff like that. I'm like, what you doing? And he really got me. And so from that point forward, I tried on a Tom Ford suit. And when I tried on a Tom Ford suit and it fit me perfectly, it was this woman in the store and she was like, oh my God, you are something special. Lord have mercy. She didn't work there. She's just a customer. And she was like, that is you. You mm. And so, so I tried to not go outside and everyone was looking at me it's, differently. It's like going, it's like going from black yeah, and, and white like, to Technicolor. It, it was like, <laughs> whoa. It's like it went from black and white to Technicolor. I was like, it's like that? Okay, right. I guess this works. So okay. I still like... I still like not as baggy as it used to be because I, I, I'm not comfortable with the straight leg without a suit. But with a suit on, I'm comfortable with it. Without a suit, I like a little room with a nice fly blazer, pocket square, tied a whole bit. But my wardrobe is definitely elevated to the point where I do believe I'm the best dressed man in sports television. We're going to take a quick commercial break with the best dressed man in sports television, Stephen A. Smith. So we are pressed for time, but we're going to skip to question number five. So we're only going to give you four questions this show. Since, okay, you know, thank you, because I keep getting them wrong anyway. No, I only got the okay, first one right, right, but go ahead. But this last one, I don't want to get your blood pressure up real fast, but here we go. Last question. This football player was an original member of the Dallas Cowboys and was drafted in 1960, where he played in a racially divided Dallas, Texas. He was the first black star on the Cowboys and also made history as the first black football player at the University of Colorado and the first black sports anchor for CBS. Who is he? I'm ashamed because I should know that. It's just that when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, I pay attention to them losing, not anything historical. Um, Wow. The answer is Frank Clark. I would not have guessed that. 
Frank Clark played with the Cowboys for eight seasons. He played both wide receiver and tight end. He held the Cowboys record for most touchdowns in a season with 14. For 45 years, he held that record until 2007 when it was broken by Terrell Owens. So we know that you have a special disdain for the Dallas Cowboys and your criticism of them is some of the biggest viral moments in uh, football Sundays. Um, Where did the disdain for the Cowboys come from and what's your favorite football team? Well... You know, first of all, I once had an ex-girlfriend in high school who dumped me. He was a Cowboys fan. That didn't help. Okay, well, that's enough. Um, no, 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 that's not. But, but, but I, I will tell you in all serious, it's all seriousness. My disdain from the Cowboys emanates from their fans. It's not mm. the organization. It's not. It's not the Dallas Cowboys. And I should have known that answer in all seriousness about Frank Clark. I should have paid more attention to that. Usually, I just look up my history. But the bottom line is, I should have known that one. So that's on me. But I will tell you this. The Cowboy fans are the most nauseating, disgusting fan base in American history. More so than the Eagles? More so than everybody. Okay. It doesn't matter how awful they are. They're always going to win the Super Bowl next year. It doesn't matter how futile. It doesn't have it matter how moribund or pathetic they are. They are always going to be the champion next year. And they live every season as if they're already the champions. That is what annoys me about them. Primetime Deion Sanders played for the Cowboys. Love him, my brother. Michael Irvin played for him. Love him, my brother. Emmitt Smith, my man. Troy Aikman, good dude. Love him to death. Colleague at ESPN. Love these dudes. Jimmy Johnson, one of my favorite coaches of all time. All that stuff. Jerry Jones, my buddy. The bottom line is this. At the end of the day, the Cowboy fans are what ruined it for everybody. Ruined it. Absolutely for everybody. And I saw your head shaking about Jerry Jones. I, we could talk about that if you want to. But, <laughs> like, but That but, might be a different uh, podcast episode. No, 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 yeah. no. That's a different podcast episode. But you know what? I'm just, I'm, to me, I'm not going to hold a still photo from 66 years ago against somebody. I'm just not going to do it unless I see something that's evident. You standing in the crowd, that's just me. I, I need more evidence than that. Having said all of that, at the end of the day, When I think about Jerry Jones, I think about a marketing genius for the Dallas Cowboys who somehow manages to keep them relevant when they're not worthy of being relevant. He somehow pulls it off year after year after year. And he's got these Cowboy fans believing every single year they're going to be be Super Bowl champions. Next year's going to be the one. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm with Brick, a.k.a. Stephen A. Smith, memoirist, Mm. podcaster, and you're listening to The Blackest Question. Stephen A., you were born in the Bronx, but you grew up in Queens. Uh, after reading your book and you talk about sort of, you know, your upbringing, tell us a little bit more about your book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Well, the book was written, first of all, as a dedication to my mother who passed away in 2017 after a lengthy battle with cancer. God rest her soul. She was always a straight shooter. Uh, she's the greatest woman I've ever known. I'm a proud mama's boy in that regard. Uh, there has never been... Thank God for the existence of my two daughters because there was never uh, anyone alive that I could have imagined loving as much as I loved my mother. And I miss her, I miss her every day. And um, I've been through a lot uh, in my life, certainly not because of her. Uh, she's also the closest thing to perfection I've ever known in a human being. And in writing this memoir to motivate and inspire, I had to highlight a lot of things that I've endured in my life. It was basically primarily a book to also celebrate her and the greatness that she exhibited, the perseverance and tenacity that she had to show 
unfortunately, because of the negligence of my father, which I also had to highlight because I couldn't celebrate her without telling why she needed to be celebrated. And so, you know, that combined with my trials and tribulations that I had to endure throughout my life uh, from getting left back, from suffering from dyslexia, uh, from having the relationship that I had with my father who had little to no belief in me to my mother's unwavering faith in me to how that ultimately propelled me through junior high school and high school and college uh, to be in the way I am today. And so, you know, for me, again, it's to, it's to, it's to inspire and motivate, but it was also to highlight her greatness um, and also to let people know, give them insight into who I am, how I am, how I think, why I've adopted the perspectives that I've adopted throughout the years and to provide, to sit in the chair that I sit in every day. I thought it was incredibly important that I provide that perspective so people will understand why I think the way that I think, why I am the way that I am. I thought I owed that to the viewer, uh, the reader, the listener, etc., because I sit in a chair that a lot of people consider to be incredibly influential um, and to whom much is given much is required. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And I just wanted to highlight for people, there's a responsibility that I embrace. Here's why. It's a beautiful reflection. It's so thoughtfully written. And for those of you who haven't read it or listened to it, be sure to check out Stephen A. Smith's memoir, New York Times bestselling memoir, I should say, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. I'm with Stephen A. Smith. Are you ready for the lightning round? Oh, Lord. Now, How many? Is, why, are you, do you is, just want to advertise to everybody what I don't know unless I look it up? Because I can't get an answer right. You ask me questions from the 1960s. You know what I'm I mean, you ask me about fashion. I mean, I'm like, what? This is unbelievable. But go ahead. This is Black Lightning Round. There are no right or wrong answers. You just give me the first thing that pops into your head once I ask you the question. You ready? Sure. Sure. Okay. Back in your prime, if you could play it against any basketball player, dead or alive, who are you picking? Steph Curry. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Night owl. Of all the places you've visited, what's your favorite? Barbados. Mm. When you want to indulge, are you grabbing something sweet or something salty? Sweet. Which boxing movie franchise are you watching? Rocky or Creed? Rocky. Which would you rather, ask for permission or ask for forgiveness? Forgiveness. I think we all know that answer. And last one, are you playing dominoes or spades? Spades. All right. Listen, you have been playing the blackest questions for our listeners out there. We've been talking to Stephen A. Smith. Go pick up his new book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Listen to his new podcast, No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. I want to thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can find out more in the Grio Black Podcast Network on the Grio app, the website, or YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. The 
Radio Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. The Grio Black Podcast Network presents Dear Culture, Truish Black Stories. When you think of sheer artistry, sheer creativity, um, the ability for someone to bring Black people together in the most fundamental ways, it's, you know, I would say, of my four, Randy Watson's my number one. When the news about Ricky first broke, what I heard about it is the thing you hear about, you know, every time somebody Black dies, that it was gang-related. That means the police don't know what happened, so they just said, probably the gangs, probably, you know, the other Black dudes. When I think of Akilah, you know, um, I think about, I just think about how impressionable white people can be. I think about how, you know, if you watch that movie again, you know, she should have lost like three times. Where were you when you heard the story about them suckers getting served by Wade's dance crew? You know, it's crazy that you mentioned this. So as a New Yorker, right, everyone knows where they were on 9-11, right? You know, a couple years later, right, 2003, everyone hears about this crazy moment in a boxing ring, because that's where dancers do get out, right? In boxing rings. If you could say something to Ricky right now, what would you say to him? Ricky, you shouldn't have never got that girl pregnant. You knew I had a crush on you. You should have got with me instead. Moments in Black culture examined like never before. Join us each week as we dive into the Black moments that changed us, that changed the world. Make sure to subscribe to Dear Culture so you never miss an episode. 